Welcome to Baseball Biz. Today, Baseball Biz has the privilege to speak to an author, a baseball scholar, a professor of the game, a loyal Marlins fan, and judge, the Honorable Louis H. Schiff. Lou has an avid fan of the game, and he has two loves, baseball and the law. He's kind of blended those together. He and Robert Jarvis co-authored the book, Baseball and the Law, Cases and Materials. Lou shares that love of the game in the college classroom on, and on Twitter, and today on the Baseball Biz Podcast. Welcome, Lou. Hey, Mark. Pleasure to be here on uh, Baseball Biz. It's, uh, always, it's always fun to talk about baseball. It's always talk, fun to talk about baseball as a business and law, and I'm, and I'm glad we'll be able to talk about a couple of things today. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to talk about a little bit about player contracts, but before that, there's a whole lot going on with your team. You've been, let's see, you, you used to live in New York, but you came down to Florida some time ago and made the Marlins your team. Is that right? Yeah, I made the Marlins my team when they started in, in 1993. I, I grew up uh, as a kid, a Mets fan, and, and, my, and my fandom with the Mets started uh, – when uh, they were a brand new team, 1962, I went to my first Met game in 1964. Uh, I was uh, about 14 years old uh, when the 14 years old, 15 years old when the Mets uh, won the World Series. 14 years old when the Mets won the World Series in 1969. Uh, used to go to games all the time. The earliest I ever went to a baseball game without my parents. I was 12 years old. Uh, they let me ride on the Long Island Railroad from uh, Belmore to a game at Shea Stadium, you know, no one would let their kid ride alone on the <laughs> Long Island Railroad today, you know, to a ball game. Even when my kids were growing up, I wouldn't let them go down to Marlins Park or Joe Robbie Stadium without an adult. But uh, yeah, I guess times were different then and fell in love with the game. And when we moved to Florida in the early 70s, I kept rooting for the Mets. But then when they started a team in Miami, it was time to, to switch because the ball players that I grew up watching Eddie Cranepool, Seaver and Kuzman and Grody and Chamsky and Aging and Clendenin, who became a lawyer. Um, you know, those guys had retired. So it was a whole fresh, new, fresh group of ball players. And so I started my allegiance with the uh, Marlins. I've been a Marlins season ticket holder since before they won their, their first World Series in 97. And I, I continue on, on today. But uh, yeah, in the news today, you know, uh, part of the deal when, when uh, Jeff Loria convinced uh, the folks in Miami to build this really gorgeous stadium uh, was that he was going to give them a percentage of his profits if he ever sold the team. Uh, he sold the team for, I don't know, was it $1.3 billion or something yeah. a few years ago to Richard Sherman and his group, a lot of money, but he only paid $157 million for the team. And only, you know, when you, when you look at it, so only $157 million for a team, you know. Nice investment. Yeah, a couple, you know, I, I guess if you invested correctly in, in game, and in, in, what's that, that, that game stock the other day? Oh, there you go. Yeah, you could have made your money. But anyway, <laughs> he, uh, he sold the team and he owed the city of Miami 5% profit. And he claimed apparently that he didn't make any profit in selling the team. And so a lawsuit ensued and uh, it's been reported. It was reported in this morning's Miami Herald that uh, Mr. Loria has, and the city of Miami, Dade County have, have agreed that uh, he's going to pay them about $1.6 million uh, 
that he owed. Uh, I, that fuzzy math, I guess, because if you take 1.2 billion and you minus out, you know, 100, 200, 300 million dollars, but then again, again, that's why I went into law because I was never good at math. So <laughs> I guess the case is now settled. Well, with the game of baseball, you never know what's going to happen. And with with team owners, they never cease to surprise me. And even when they talk about what they're putting in their pocket and what's not happening there. So without getting any particulars, there's been no surprises with, with some very innovative ways that owners in the past have, have worked with their creative accounts. Classes. There you go, brother. I like that. <laughs> that I'm comfortable saying creative. <laughs> well, Lou, I tell you, man, uh, it's great to, to be able to enjoy the game as you are. And, and have a team like the Marlins. There's so much going on. I mean, seeing the changes, seeing the new ownership with Derek Jeter, seeing Kim Ang come on. Uh, so I, it's a great time to be a Marlins fan, as far as I can see. It is a good time to be a Marlins fan, but it's, it's got to be a better time right now to be a Tampa fan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it has to. So, you, so you've had you, all three of your major teams make it to the finals. And, and and this has got to be the thing that's killing everybody over on the west coast of the state is um, you, you must wake up thinking I'm in a dream. I, I can't go to these games. My team makes the World Series and I can't go. My, my team is going to win the Stanley Cup and, and I can't show up. And now my team is in the Super Bowl and they're going to sell six tickets for people to go to the to the, the Super Bowl game. And it's in my home city. Yeah, I mean, that, that I, I, that's. I don't know what what could be worse, you know, not being able to go to the games or, or you know, it's, it's incredible. It's it's a fiction. It's a it's a fantasy ball game. I mean, that's what it feels like sometimes. It hurts like heck not to be able to actually go out and see these these people play. The fans can wave to the buses as they go by. <laughs> now that's about right. Maybe maybe I'll do that too. But it's anyway. Yeah, Tampa's been absolutely crazy. And it's been interesting over the years, you know, with your team and ours and across all of the league is mm-hmm. I'm, I'm looking at the evolution of players coming in. You know, there's so much change. You know, you you find a player you love and then suddenly you find next year he's gone. Blake right. Snell, bye-bye. You know, Charlie Morton, bye-bye. You, you, were one, you were one pitching change away from winning the World Series. Yeah, yeah, brother. Man, I tell you, and it, it hurts. It really hurts. But, yeah. you know, how? what does it take to get there? You, you look at these young people and – whether they be in high school, junior college, college, and they have a path. You know, they want to get to the show. If they have the talent, they have the aspiration and drive, they can make it potentially. But let's face it, you know, we had 160 minor league teams until some of these changes by MLB. And from that, all of those players out there had the same dream. But during the draft, you know, the, the draft of new players – by the Major League Baseball, it used to be huge. So I guess what I'm asking, Lou, where does that young player, whether it be in high school or junior college, where do they start? Does, does an agent come to them? And if so, it, if they're, let's, start, let's start with somebody who's a higher draft, maybe even somebody like Trevor Bauer. You know, it's probably been 10 years since he came in. What's the path with somebody like that? Does that, uh, when they're playing in, in college or high school, are they approached by an agent? And if they're a top player, what, what can they expect? Well, they're not supposed to be approached in, in a lot of ways. <laughs> um, but you have – now we're, I think we're down to five rounds in the draft. 
Right. And everybody else is really just, uh, you know, they'll, they'll give them a, a contract if they want to sign after. Now, and there's, again, there's a difference between the draft and international signing. So we have many, many more ball players coming to play in this country that are not subject to the draft because there's international signing. And that's a whole different set of rules. But you take a, a high school kid here in Florida, uh, they've got a choice. If they're really good, they can they could uh, get drafted out of high school. Or if they're offered a college scholarship, they can go to college and they can play a couple of years and then get put back in, in the draft if they, if they want to as well. They get to pick an agent, obviously. Right. Uh, there are some restrictions about what agents can and can't do in recruiting some of these players. And that's, that's really fuzzy, too. What, how does that relationship uh, work? You know, did the parents do this? Uh, you know, does somebody know somebody? Uh, it, it, it gets a little, it gets a little difficult there. And again, agents are supposed to be monitored by Major League Baseball. There's a, a pro. In order to become an agent, uh, you have to take a course that Major League Baseball Players Association uh, has, and you have to pass that test, and you have to go through a background check, and there are some things there uh, that determine whether or not you can even be an agent. But one, once a, a, a kid is signed, uh, the path to the major leagues is, is, is it's, it's, I guess it's not a scratch-off lotto ticket, but the chances of them absolutely making the show is not great. Not if you're, you know, not if you're a, a lower round draft pick. And even if you're a higher round draft pick, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get to play a, a substantial amount of time in, 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 in the majors. It depends upon your health. It depends upon the needs of, of the team that signed you. It depends upon how you perform as, as, as an athlete. I see that. And, and I see like some of the uh, top draft choices have a better opportunity. Obviously the more talent, the more likely of advancing. And in my mind, I was looking when the Tampa Bay Rays brought in Brendan McKay. And one of the first things I saw is, okay, he has a signing bonus of $7 million. Well, this young man may be sitting in the minors for a year or a little bit of taxi service, you know, to the race. So during that time, I guess he could be paid only whatever the minimum is minimum wage for a minor right. team. And it's a good thing. He's got that $7 million bonus, you know, until that, until he makes it to the show. Yeah. And so a lot of times what will happen is you take a young man like that who gets an incredible signing bonus. So the team has a lot more invested in him and, and because they're not paying him a lot and, and the, 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 the starting salary of a, a rookie ball player is $400 a week. And the starting salary of a single A ball player is five a week, 500 a week, 600 a week for double A and 700 a week for, for triple A. So there's not a lot that the team is paying for these ball players. And we right. can talk about the lawsuits that's pending right now uh, against Major League Baseball. We can do that maybe later uh, regarding whether or not the ball players are, are underpaid. They're supposed to get minimum wage. There's, some, there's a wage lawsuit now. And as you know, minor league ball players are not part of the, the Major League Union. And, uh, and so they're not subject to those to those rules. But if, if, if I draft somebody and uh, I have seven million that I've just paid you, and I've also drafted another athlete and I gave them a hundred thousand dollar signing bonus. I, I'm going to care a lot more about the person I've invested seven million dollars in than the person I gave a hundred thousand dollars to. So that person who get you give the, the seven million dollar signing bonus to is going to stay with your organization a lot longer because you, you have a lot more invested in them. 
But, you know, once somebody becomes a major leaguer, starting salary right now, starting 2021, according to the collective bargaining agreement, will be $570,500 a year for, for a major leaguer if you stay on the roster for the full year. Yeah, that, that is, absolutely. I mean, that's a lot of good pocket change. Beats the heck out of that 500, 400 a week. And then they have to stay there. And like you're saying, there's a certain number of games they have to play for that. I don't get too deep into this, but arbitration, a player has basically, once they hit the, the show, they've got six years before they're a free right. agent. And I'm not going to sneeze at half a million dollars, but the thing of it is the team can actually, Chris Bryant from the Cubs, he had some uh, arguments with them. Great example. I mean, here's a guy. You have to have so many games a year or so many days a year, rather, with a major league team for that year to count towards you one step closer to uh, pre-agency. And I think they cut him short about a day or two. And I'll be honest with you, Lou, I don't remember how that if or how that was finally resolved. But it, it goes well, to and, and that's. And that's exactly, you're right, Mark. And that's exactly what happens. And so when the team, as you're saying, has control of a player, and we've seen this happen, especially on teams that are, um, they know they're not going to compete for a, a championship. They right. can hold the player back an extra week or two, and then they get an extra year out of them. So they kind of get six and a half years uh, instead of the six years. Yeah, in, in a previous show, we talked about super twos and other things. There's there's exceptions to rule, like so many th other things in mm -hmm. life, and we're not going to get into that. But it 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 is. And I think you kind of hit it directly where it is. The team actually has the flexibility to hold a player back for another year, and I think I'm curious to see in the future what the Major League Baseball Players Association does to maybe fix that or make it a little more flexible. I don't know, but but that's something for uh, the future to hold. The collective bargain agreement comes to an end at the end of this season. Right. And, and I think you may, may see some of that come into play. Major League Baseball made a lot of money last year. I don't mean players. Major League Baseball made a lot of money last year. Don't kid yourself. With the expanded playoffs. That, that helped them tremendously in, in what could have been a, a, a worse year. And they want, to, they want to do that again this year. But it's going to take the cooperation of the players and the Players are going to say, well, it's a contract. So what are you going to give us in exchange right. for an extra round of the playoffs? What, what's in it for us? Your employer says, listen, we want you to work. We want you to work extra. Okay, I'm happy to work extra. But what are you going to pay me to work extra? What are you going to give us to work extra? National League, they want to use the designated hitter. Well, what are you going to give us in exchange for that? <laughs> it's, a, it, 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 it's a contract. Oh, yeah. I, when I teach law, but when I teach baseball law to my students, and I, for the last, I think, eight or nine years, I teach a course called Baseball and the Law uh, to my, uh, actually, it's called Law and the Business of Baseball at Mitchell Hamlin Law School in St. Paul. Uh, one of the things I, I mentioned to the students is that, you know, baseball is a game that we've played as kids, but baseball, when adults play it, is a big business. And that's where the law obviously comes in. And... Uh, I give the scenario that how would you like to be a law student graduating and top of your class? And instead of being able to pick your own law firm, you get drafted and you want to be a criminal lawyer, but you get drafted by a probate law firm and they say, Hey, congratulations, kid. You're not going to do probate law. And your choice is either sign with the probate law firm or you got to sit it out and find somebody else independently and not play for a year before you can sign a contract. And that's kind of what it's like for a baseball. 
Oh yeah. Well, I mean, if you want to play baseball, I mean, you got to have two parties. You can't get to pick your team. You don't pick. You can't pick your team. You can't say, "Hey, I grew up a Mets fan. I want to play for the Mets." You, you just can't do it. If they draft you, that's great. If not, you got to go where you're, you're drafted. It is a crazy world, and if you think you put those same type of methods on just business anywhere else, you would. It's laughable. So, but when you get into right. the base world, it's it's a whole other game. And getting back to to the path of those young players, I have a question for you too. As they're coming up through here, and we're going to talk a little bit about top prospects and and those who aren't, when a team has a lot invested in a young player, what happens when they become injured? Say they're at, you know, in the majors now and their contract is for X number of dollars a year. What happens with that year? What happens as far as payment to that player? Well, baseball is different than other sports. So if a player is injured, they're going to get their full salary. They, they, if a player is injured, they go on the disabled list, uh, and they, let's say they have a five-year contract, a three-year contract. The, the team is the team is on the hook for the full salary. You know, Carl Pavano comes to mind when you talk about players that get hurt. Uh, you know, the Yankees uh, signed Pavano to a huge contract after he, he he became a free agent and left the Marlins, and then they were on the hook got into a car crash and he didn't tell him about the car crash or something like that. But the Yankees were on the hook for a whole bunch of money because he got hurt. They still had to pay him. And so baseball is, is, is different. So you sign a contract, you know, this is what you're going to get. And, and so the teams do have insurance that they, they have to, they, they pay for to uh, in case a ball player is injured, but they're on the hook for it. And it sounds like it's not just workman's comp. It doesn't have to happen on the field. It can be life. You know, if somebody's out there in a, in a vehicle accident or something along those lines, then it's still, hey, guess what? We're still going to have to pay that guy. Yeah, but there, there may be, there's a couple of exceptions. And, and, and that would be if, if somebody does something uh, that's against the contract that, and it may be in the contract specifically if they've done something uh, that was uh, reckless or something of that nature, they, they may... Uh, they may not have to pay them, but if it's an on the field injury for sure, and, and, and they're out, uh, uh, they, they, they get paid for the length of their contract. You know, I'm glad that happens. As opposed to football, you know, as opposed to football, where if a guy gets hurt, that's it. You're done. Thank you very much. Uh, you know, if I'm a parent right now and, and I have a child that's a, a gifted athlete and they can play either football or baseball, I, I'd be pushing them to play baseball for sure. The uh, number of years of a professional baseball player is greater than the number of years for a football player. And the injuries sustained in baseball are less severe than the injuries sustained in football. Well, and that's a serious consideration. I mean, when you look at that and the the long lasting too, as far as like concussions and when you're looking at, at football and you see some of these guys 20 years later from when their career began in football, and some of them have trouble putting two sentences together. You know, it's, they've been injured in such a way. And there's, what's the recompense for that? I'm sorry. See you later. And there's, there's some lawsuits now ongoing with the, with the, with the athletes that were injured that maybe didn't know the risk, but if you're playing ball right now, you, 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 you kind of know the risk. It's like a cigarette smoker. Now you, yeah. you, you know, your risks now. If you're going to smoke cigarettes, you know, when my dad quit smoking cigarettes in, in the 1960s, it was starting to become apparent that this cigarette smoking could be hazardous to your health. Uh, now it's, 
it's 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 a known risk, especially in, in football and violent sports, that this is a risk of playing the game. Yeah, and, and we know, kind of jumping off here for a moment, we did an episode a couple of weeks ago on sticky stuff. We're talking about something to give a pitcher a grip for one thing, to get a better spin rate and be able to place the ball. But then also did that give them the ability not to be going right at the head of, of a player? You know, last year watching Aroldis Chapman going ahead and trying to take out one of our guys. Uh, it's, I'm sorry, Mr. Yankee, but um, you should be able to do better than that. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I, there's something right there. I wonder about saying, okay, you don't even get, maybe you don't even get kicked out of the game. But uh, what about in the court of law? If things that happen on fields actually had a had to go ahead and be responsible as in a court of law, good lord, you guys would be ultra busy. Well, we've had there have been hockey players that have been arrested for for violence on ice. So we there have been some hockey players over the years that during a game have injured another player only to find themselves in trouble with with the law. Uh, and that's happened in, in, for a lot of Canadian games where, where players were severely injured and, uh, and, and, and because it's above and beyond what you expect. And you take a stick right. and you hit somebody over the head with it. That's not part of the, the game. I, I don't, I hope most fans don't I'm not, look for I'm, that. I'm not aware of any, um, there was a great case. And I, and I, I think that it was also out of Canada, uh, where, uh, a bird was killed on the throw uh, of one of the ball players, and and, and uh, the the constable that was at the game tried to charge the ball player. Oh, maybe it was a Dave Winfield, uh, where where they, they they had him arrested momentarily for 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 killing the bird, and I mean the charges were eventually dropped. But uh, usually, what goes on on a baseball field stays on the baseball. Right. <laughs> Yeah, if if you had two crowds of people running out into the middle of a field at one another, <laughs> generally that's not acceptable. In it. Right, right, but right. The, the the interesting thing too, I want to kind of get back to the contract that these players are signing. I mean, you have so much more expertise, and it was Dave Winfield that was arrested. That's what I, it was. Dave Winfield was arrested uh, in 1983 for uh, killing a seagull uh, during a game with, with the uh, with the Blue Jays. I love it. I mean, this game has got has got so much color to it. That's another reason why I love baseball, man. There's so much history and color. So let's go back to contracts. Yeah, let's go back to contracts. Okay. When I'm looking at this, and we're getting to the point where the player has been in the league for six years, now they have the opportunity for free agency. They're out there, and they're what they're able to do is going to help them command a certain salary. They are no longer fixed to one club. They are able to determine right. if they can come with agreement, like you're saying, to people sitting down negotiating and work out a deal. I know a lot of us as fans have been watching Trevor Barr and say, what's next? And, you know, one of the things I'm hearing about Trevor Barr is uh, initial talk was about a one-year contract and that, that he was looking for that. And I was trying to think, is, is that a benefit to him? Is that a benefit to the to the team? I mean, or the organization? What are your thoughts? Well, you have to ask. You have to ask his agent, uh, Rachel Luba, on 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 that. He may feel that I only want to sign a one year contract because I think I'm going to be so good next year that you're going to want to even pay me more. <laughs> I love it. Well, no, um, no, 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 no. Or 
I don't know. I, I, I'm not in. I'm not in his head. I'm not in her head as to what is happening. And I'm certainly not going to second guess anyone. No, uh, no, no. The advantage of signing a longer contract is the security, knowing that if anything happens, that I'm still going to get paid. If I'm going to sign a contract with, say, Miami, I'm going to have to know that uh, I like I like the team, I like the manager, uh, I, I like. Uh, I like everything about where it's going to be, and I'm willing to make a certain city my home, knowing that in maybe three to five years, I'm going to be playing somewhere else, unless I'm so good that I can control my own destiny with a no trade provision or a limited trade provision that says, if you do decide to trade me, I, I only want to get traded to these five teams, and I have the power to say no. I like that. I mean, I like the ability to be able to have that flex, you know, saying, hey, if you're going to trade me, this is where I want to be able to go. And Top Talent's going to be able to do some things like that. And setting Trevor Barr aside, but just as looking at the idea, it seems like to me this year, we're seeing more limited contracts as far as number of time. I seem like I'm seeing more one-year contracts. And so forgetting Mr. Barr, but in general, you know, I say, okay, yeah, well, this this can be a win-win. It, it certainly can for an organization who says they're bleeding right now and that uh, they're not making a long-term agreement. Plus, we we were talking about earlier is that a player, whether they're injured or not, they're still going to be played. Excuse me. They're still going to be paid whether or not they're actually capable of playing, physically capable of playing the game. So I would see that as a benefit, you know, for the team as well. I'm just, I guess, the one well, year contract. Go ahead. To go back to the one year deal. So, yesterday, it's reported that Adam Wainwright is going to go back and play ball for the Cardinals. But he's 39 year, years old, right? Yeah. And so they're going to give him a one year deal. And that's understandable. So, you got a one year deal for eight million, I think it's $8 million that he signed for. That's what it was reported. And that's a win win for everybody. The Cardinals know they have him for a year, uh, they'll see how he does. Uh, you know, is he going to have a Tom Brady year like he like Brady's had uh, for your team over in, in Tampa, or is he going to have an awful year? And they were willing to take the chance that he, they think for eight million dollars for one year, we'll be able to put the Cardinals in a position to be a very competitive team and, and and try to advance to the World Series. I'm very excited to see how this evolves. I mean, we all know as far as COVID and be, the ability to have fans in the stands and all the revenue that's been lost there. So it gives gives the teams a different perspective and the players too when they may or may not be playing a limited season and maybe only getting a portion of what that contract has actually been negotiated at. I'm I'm excited about this year. I was excited about last year. I didn't think last year was going to happen. To be quite honest with you, one of the earlier baseball business last year is like, eh, I just don't see it happening. I was happy to see they came up with something and it didn't seem like uh didn't seem like it actually hurt too too much. I mean, there was a few things early on with you guys I was concerned about with Marlins, but in the Cardinals, but things worked out. I was amazed that the Marlins were competitive last year. You know, as a long-suffering Marlins fan, it was amazing what Michael Hill was able to do with the team. It truly, I I I, I can't name half the players that played for them last year. Because I think they ran 60-some-odd players on the team in 60 games. I, I, it, it, there were just so many ball players, and, and it seemed that everybody that they put in truly con- contributed. Um, it was just it was just amazing. It was like, you know, the, the dream came to an end when the when the when the 
you know, when the, when Atlanta swept them, and, and then that was the end of it. You know, even beating the Cubs was was amazing to beat oh, yeah. to beat a team like the Cubs who had just won the World Series. But then you look over it. You know what I wish we had? There is no rivalry between your the Rays and the Marlins. They for years they they want to call it the Sunshine Cup, the Citrus Cup. There's just right. no rivalry between Tampa Bay. And and, and, and 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 the Marlins, no matter how the media tries to make it into a rivalry, it just isn't one. It, it isn't. It, it, it's like it's like I have a cousin that plays baseball. Yeah, they're my cousin and I get to see him once a year, but I like my cousin. There really isn't any rivalry. Yeah, we'll play some games. And, and you know, some years we'll beat you up. Some years, years you beat me up. But this is not Red Sox Yankees. No, 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 not by a stretch of imagination. And this is not Dodgers Giants. You know, this is just like two neighborhood kids playing, and nobody really cares because they're Florida teams. Exactly, and, and two different what uh, one's American League and one's National League. So I can pull for you guys but, as long as I want for most of the year. And I, and I pull and I pull for the Rays. And I was so, I was so rooting for a Marlins Rays World Series oh, last gosh, year. It's been so cool. Obviously, as a Marlins fan, but uh, it would just have ticked off the entire baseball world. Can you imagine a Marlins Rays World Series? There'd be seven people that would really care about the game. <laughs> Oh, oh, brother. Well, you know, we've both been snubbed so much, and you guys got two World Series. Well, I mean, truly, truly I mean, how many people would really care about Marlins Rays, Mark? I mean, would anybody care besides the Tampa fans and the Miami fans? I think you hit it right there. I'm afraid not. No, no. The national media would, like, cut off the bottom of the state and just let it float away. You know, they <laughs> It's, yeah, well, you're, you're, we're in a sport where there's a stronghold in New York and also in California, that both those areas. And I, I don't think they give much credit to most anybody else. Yeah. We'll look at the Cardinals now and then. And I think the Royals, who are they? <laughs> there's a lot of teams. Well, it's practically pariahs. Kansas city has some of the greatest baseball fans. St. Louis has great baseball fans. Right. You know, Philadelphia, great baseball fans, New York, they're passionate baseball fans. Chicago, the, uh, California, great baseball fans. And Florida, it's like, yeah, so what? You know, so they, you know, there's a team in Florida, big deal. Do, do we have too many transients? <laughs> I wonder about the turnover population around here. It's like, okay, we're a visitor. It's like if you go to Daytona, you know, does anybody, how many of those people who go to the 500 are, are Daytonans? <laughs> my, my season seats are behind the visitor's dugout. And, and my, my seats are in the, front, in the front row, not on the dugout, but in the lower bowl, right behind the dugout. So I'm 10 rows off the field. Oh, wow. And when I go to a Marlins-Mets game, like, I, I, am, I am surrounded by nothing that, other than Mets fans. It, oh. it, 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 that's all there's there. It's just Mets fans. It's, it's me and a bunch of Mets fans. And uh, because... I don't know how it is over in, in, for your for the Rays game. It's ugly. <laughs> we live in a state where 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 folks are from somewhere else, and they keep rooting for wherever they used to be from. Oh, I'm telling it. It used to drive me crazy. Go to a Rays game and I see all these guys with socks. You know, they got the Red Sox shirts, the Red Sox caps, and then are the Yankees. The ones I had the most difficulty with were the Red Sox fans. I mean, Yankees fans love their team, and there's a rivalry, but Red Sox. There's something more bad blood between Tampa. It's not a rivalry, but it's just a nastiness, if you will, when it comes into the building. Uh -huh. But 
Uh, yeah, there's there's just not enough Tampa Bay folks. You know, when when I first came to Tampa, I worked with the New York Times, and we were also associated with the Boston Globe. That in itself was kind of weird. And a lot of the Boston people worked in the local office and said, hey, Mark, you want to go to the game and see the Rays? What kind of gear are you guys going to be wearing? Okay, no, I'll see you separately. I'll wave from across you know, the field to you. But it, yeah, it's, it's crazy. I wish we did have a, a more of a, well, a competition between the two of us, between the Marlins and the Rays. I wish we had fans who were that excited. Yeah, I, I look at where I came from again. In Kentucky, where I had U of L and U of K, and it's practically a bloodletting sometimes as far as the ferocity of the fans between that competition. I, I would love to see that kind of loyalty. I'd love to see that kind of participation as far as fans coming in attendance to the stadium. I think that baseball has suffered because of how ball players move so easily from one team to another. And you, you start, look at the Marlins outfield from a couple of years ago. Yelich, Ozuna, and Stan. Was there a better outfield in baseball no. than those three? And, and so, so now you're a 12-year-old kid, and, and, and you're looking at the greatest outfield in baseball. And now you're rooting for a team, and all of a sudden they're gone. How do you, how do you build fan loyalty? Uh, growing up as a, again, growing up as a Met fan, you know, a kid in New York, the team changed, but the players, the core group kind of stayed. Right. And, but you don't have that um, for a lot of teams. The and, players and, and then again, baseball is fairly new to the Sunshine State, new, you know, 1993 for the for the fish a couple of years later for the rays uh, it's gonna, it could take a generation or two and, and, and again and it's expensive to go to ball games again it's a business it's expensive to go to ball games teams don't make it easy to watch their games games are too long uh, the game, game you, you put a game on at seven o'clock at night you're not done until 10 30 11 if you're a kid how are you staying up till 11 o'clock to watch a ball game? The World Series games go on till after midnight. How, how, do you, how do you watch a ball game if you're a nine-year-old kid wanting to watch a game and the game's not over till after midnight? Yeah. Football has it right. You know, they, they play their games in the afternoon. You know, some, some of the games are later at night, but, but their games are accessible to a younger fan base. Well, I think that's a key. I, I think the Major League Baseball has been struggling with this for some time, but some things seem a little bit more self-evident, like, hey, how about having more of those games in the middle of the day? The things they're talking about, too, what was in the minor leagues, and they were trying it, and I think even with Major League last year, is after that ninth inning, you put and you could put a guy on second base for running, you know, for that 10th inning, the first part of that, you've got a guy there. So they're looking at things like that. They got clocks that, uh, you know, a pitcher only has so long before they can go ahead. They need to throw again, but you mm -hmm. look at the batter stepping out of the box for 20 seconds before they can even start. There, there's things that can be done to make the game they, a little tighter. Try to shorten it up. So baseball makes its money through radio and TV, the teams oh, yeah. do. And so the more time in between innings, uh, the more commercials they can sell. And, and so that 
that goes into it. You also look back, you know, sometimes I watch an old game, you know, you see some of these older games, uh, he's watching highlights and you see how quick the pitchers pitched. There wasn't this, just like you said, they didn't step out of the box. Remember Nomar Garcia? He stepped out <laughs> of the box. He adjusted. You know, it takes 20 seconds, you know, 20 minutes between pitches. Stand in the box and hit, kid. That's it. Get up there and hit. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to boost some of those guys. It's like, come on. There's a game to be played. Come the rest on, of the really? to see. <laughs> no. no, Lou, I'll tell you what. There's so much about this game that, that I enjoy. That, and there's so many different components. There's so many different mm -hmm. approaches. You know, analytics comes right. into the game. The the trading seems to go on more fiercely than ever. And I don't know what's going to happen next. I, I'm looking at your old team, the Mets. I mean, you got a guy come in who's going to infuse some cash into things and, and see what happens. I like the new owner. I, I Here's what I love. About, and I've never met Steve Cohn, but here's what I love about him. He grew up a fan of the team he bought. That he, means he, everything. He grew up on Long Island, so he followed the team. He was there when they won in 69. He was there when they won in 86. He's followed them his whole life. And he, he look, I'm sure he, he did this. He's got a lot of money and he wants to make money, but he, he's a fan. And he, and he understands what it's like to be a fan. I, I follow him on Twitter, and he's very refreshing yeah. to uh, – to listen to, to, to see what he has to say. He wants the fans' input. I don't think our owner is on Twitter. Um, he doesn't uh, tweet out to the fans, although I've met him and he seems like a really nice guy. I had a chance to sit with him at a game. My wife and I did a couple of years ago, the year he bought the team. I was I, There aren't a lot of Marlins season ticket holders, but I got invited to, 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 to go down on the field when they had their 25th anniversary. It was, it was a lot of fun. And I got a, to share a couple of innings with, with uh, the new owner. And we, we, we spoke and, and he seems that he wants to do right, you know, for the team. Uh, and, you know, time is going to tell, I think this year is a, you know, a, a, a crucial year for this, for the new ownership team here. Uh, fans have been patient, but you know, they gave us a taste last year of what it's like to win. Exactly. And you look exactly. at the, you look at the national league East and everybody has made big signings. And if the Mets get Bauer, I don't know the Marlins are looking at finishing fourth. Uh, the, you know, I don't know how they're going to compete. We don't have any big signings. We don't have like the guy that we can say is going to win 15 games for us, 20 games for us. We don't have a guy that we can say guaranteed, you know, 25, 30 home runs, a hundred RBIs. We just don't have that yet. No. And I mean, in the market, the market's going to struggle as far as supporting the team. It makes it difficult for it to happen. I mean, I was looking at uh, Theo Epstein the other day. And but I believe it was at the Cubs, but the Cubs, I think he grew their base uh, about, you know, payroll doubled, I think, in about mm -hmm. nine years or whatever, there, thereabouts. But the thing of it is they made an investment in the team. You know, there was expectations, but those expectations were only going to be met if certain steps were taken and it wasn't going to happen tomorrow. I, I, that's something from your market and from my market, I don't know if we're going to see the, that we won't see that kind of activity as far as finances, but the love of the game, I'm still going to be there. I'm going to be there for my raise and whatever may come. And I'm going to be there for my Marlins because I, I, you know, as a fan, I love the game. I love going down to the games. Uh, I like sitting in the stands. I, I can focus on what I want to watch. I share my seats with my brother. So it's a, it's a great chance for my brother and I to, you know, spend some quality time together. 
when, when our kids and our kids were all adults now, but we used to have, I think at the one time we had six seats maybe, and now we're down to two uh, because it's really just my brother and I, my wife, when they got rid of D Gordon and the Marlins traded D Gordon away and they got rid of him, my wife said she was never going to go to another ball game again because she loved D Gordon so much. Uh, she's gone a couple of times and my brother's wife, she's gone a couple of times, but it's, it's, it's mainly my brother and I, we go and, and then some friends want tickets, you know, they, they purchase our, our seats, but it's, it's, it's enjoyable. It's a great ballpark. Uh, it, it's fun to go to a ball game. It's fun to go up to a ball game. I think that says it all. Lou, I, yeah. I can't thank you enough, man. You've been fantastic here today, willing to, to sit down with us, talk a bit about contracts, talk about the nature of the game today and the enjoyable you know, nature of what, what we have, whether you're at a, the New York Mets, the Yankees, or the Marlins, or the Rays. Fans, get engaged. And just like Lou and myself, enjoy the game. Lou, again, I want to thank you, buddy. Uh, glad you were able to join us here today on Baseball Biz. Thank you. It was a pleasure, Mark. I, I really enjoyed it. You know, let me know when you want me to come back again. If I if I burn the distinction of a, a second time, I, I would love to come back and uh, you know talk later and you know later in the season or towards the end of the season. And yeah, we, see see where Bauer goes and do we have a complete season? Is how you know? A couple of questions now is is COVID going to impact spring oh. training? Uh, is there going to be a standoff? I mean, is there going to be a standoff between the players and the owners? The players are going to say we want to get paid for the full 162 this year. We don't want expanded playoffs. We don't want a DH, and it's all leading up to the new collective bargaining agreement that's going to take place at the end of the season. Will we have a season next year that begins on time? Will we have a season next year? That, that has a different structure to it. Will there be less games? Real quick, a few years ago, one of the things before they signed this current, the CBA, there was talk of cutting back the number of games to 154 to allow another round of playoffs. So will that happen? There's a lot of things that we're going to see uh, may change in the game. Well, that's, been, that's great. I'm glad to okay. get you here. <laughs> I, I want to thank you again. We've had the Honorable Lewis H. Schiff and who's not only a judge, but is an author of the book Baseball and the Law. He keeps up with the game, and he shares his thoughts, his wisdom, and some events, I think, every day on Twitter at Baseball and Law. So you can definitely check him out there. And once again, Lou, thank you for joining us today, and I do hope and look forward to talking with you again in the future. My pleasure, Mark, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lou. You've been listening to Baseball Biz. As always, you can find us on your favorite podcast directory, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and more. Thanks again. And remember, you can also check us out on Twitter at TheBaseballBiz. Take care and have a great week. Special thanks to X-Take RUX for the music rocking forward.